Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. It's good to see everybody here on this day. It is always surprising to me, I was just talking about James with it, that somehow Spring Forward still gets churches. Like, every every single year it's the same thing, but I have been told it's the last time that we're going to be doing this, right? It's the last time we Spring Forward, right? That's what James told me. That's what it is? It is? Okay, cool. I'm right. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping so, because is Steve, is it wrong? I, I don't want to start a debate here, guys. You guys could take it in the hallway, the lobby, somewhere else. Uh, so uh, anyways, we're going to jump into the Word today. Uh, we're going to be talking about actually reading God's Word. So last week I talked about prayer. Uh, last month I talked about worship. And uh, so today I'm going to be talking about reading God's Word. And I've talked to you guys a couple of times about how I approach writing a sermon. And I, I got a curiosity, how many of you guys have ever written a teaching or a sermon to preach? How many of you guys have ever done this before? Did you like it? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, anybody ever want to, but you never did? Oh, yeah, you guys want to? Okay, I'll teach you. <laughs> They're preaching next week. <laughs> So uh, it, it's really interesting because when I think about, I've written a bunch of sermons. At this point, I've been preaching for 12, 13, 14 years, and so that's a lot of sermons. And almost every single week, uh, so that's 52 times whatever that number is there, at least over 500 sermons, because some weeks it was multiple times. Uh, so a lot, a lot, a lot of sermons have been written, and a lot of sermons have been digested. I grew up as a pastor's kid in church. So I've heard at least one trillion sermons, at least one trillion. It's nothing short of that for sure. Um, and in all of that time, it's really been interesting because as you can imagine, I forgot 99% of the sermons I listened to. Uh, as far as the actual title of the sermon, the structure of the sermon, 99% of them in the brain and out the brain. But there were some things that stuck with me. Uh, some of those principles, and they kind of all gathered together in some version of core values and understanding of God. Uh, as you probably have at this point, everything's blend, blend together into one idea of your approach to God. And so that's an important place to understand where we're starting with here, because as we talk about uh, reading God's Word today, there are a couple of different approaches uh, that are important to consider. The key here being the, the significance of meditating on God's Word and the effect it has on your life. Uh, this is foundational. If you and I can understand that God's Word is powerful, and Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, it says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints, of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So right away we see that the Word of God is extremely powerful and it's effective. Uh, and this, this is interesting to me because when you and I think about our life, you think about what you want to achieve in your life, you think about what's wrong in your life, whether it be sin, whether it be flesh issues, whether it be lust issues, you think about whatever your issues are, and then you understand the Word starts to speak to its value in your life uh, it could actually teach us how we're supposed to approach our problems, our sin problems, our depression problems, our anxiety problems, our hatred and bitterness problems. 
you, you begin to understand the effect the word can have on your life, and you begin to see that there is a tremendous need for uh, reading of the word of God. But I'm going to go ahead and right, right away say that it's not enough to just read the word of God, because there's many who read the word of God, but don't at all begin to reflect or become the things they read. Uh, so the paradigm shift that has to take place right away is that we read not to be informed, but we read to become the word of God. So when it talks about not having fear in the Bible and having love, when we read that, we're not just like, oh, cool. Uh, look, like it's a good idea not to have fear and it's a good idea to have love. So it's not just being informed about what you should be doing, uh, but it's actually reading it in a way that you become loving and you get fear driven out of you or you get delivered from fear. So you want to read in a way that you're becoming what you're reading. And so how do you become what you read? What is the difference between reading just to be informed and get knowledge and then becoming what you read? What's the difference in approach? Well, I thought it'd be kind of fun to do a little bit of an exercise at the same time I'm teaching you about the value of the word and the approach. So I'm actually going to simulate what it looks like to take a passage uh, and to read it in a way of becoming. And so the passage we're going to use today uh, is 1 John 4, 16 uh, and 18. So if you want to write this down, this is going to be our little exercise today. 1 John 4, uh, 16 and 18. Um, 1 John 4, 16 and 18. So we're going, to, uh, we're going to together, we're going to approach this scripture in a way to become what we are reading. And we're hopefully going to be able to see the difference between approaching a scripture to just grow in knowledge and then approaching a scripture to become that scripture. We consume it to become it. We don't just consume it to be informed by it so we can sound better than our other brother or sister in Christ. So we consume it to become it. Uh, and uh, we're going to read that scripture in a moment, but jot that down because the value of scripture, you can see in Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, what it does, it's sharp and it pierces and it helps with discernment. Uh, and then the next thing it does is in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All right, so the Bible talks about itself again. And it tells you what it is actually doing in your life. The reason and or how it's effective to you. That when you read the word of God, it can have the effect to reproof you, to correct you, and or to train you in righteousness so you can be complete. So if you felt incomplete or if you felt like you've lacked wholeness in your walk with God, scripture is supposed to be your antidote to repairing that partiality to repairing that missing pieces the word of God is actually containing all of the ingredients of God necessary for us to become the fullness of what he has in design for us so when you're missing things when you only have a partial understanding when you're not doing everything right your answer is to meditate on the word of God which has the fullness of the picture of God and this should be really, really helpful for us because right away we can go, okay, well, if I'm insecure about where I'm at with Jesus, and uh, maybe even I'm a little bit shameful, uh, and I don't necessarily want to tell other people about what I don't know or what I don't understand, then you can go to the Word of God and you can begin to try and understand and begin to read it to understand it 
so you can become it. Because if you don't understand something, then it's going to be really hard to digest it to the place of transformation. So you have to get over this hurdle immediately of understanding. And so if you don't understand something you're reading, seek to understand it through wise counsel, through study, through research, through cross-referencing some of these things, and uh, looking into Scripture and going, okay, well, if this is really going to reproof me, if this is really going to correct me, I actually need to understand what it's saying. And so if we're looking at 1 John 4.16, which is our template today, it goes, okay, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Okay, so the question to ask is, do you understand what was just read? Do you understand what's written in 1 John 4.16? I see some ingredients here that are really important to reflect on. One is love. So right away, if you're actually interacting with Scripture, you're going, okay, do I actually know what love is according to the standard of God? And then if you're asking that question pretty quickly, you're going to get into what your history of love is. Maybe it's a really nasty ex-boyfriend who said he loved you but just used you for sex. And then you have a really distorted perspective of what love looks like. Or maybe it was a father and mother who said they loved you, but they just manipulated you and abused you. Or maybe it was a coach who said he loved you, but perhaps he just yelled at you, cursed you out. And you're like, I don't think that that's what love looks like. So right away, when you begin to interact with what does it mean when it says that God loves me? If you don't have a healthy perspective of love, that might not be good news to you. You'd be like, hey, well, if God loves me, the last person that said they loved me did dot, dot, dot. So if you're interacting with Scripture and you're becoming Scripture, you have to reckon with your history, your personal history, what damage has been done, what trauma has happened, what burned places, what places of unforgiveness have happened, uh, what roots of bitterness exist. Right away, you're like, do I know what love is? Do I know what God's love looks like? Is it the same as my love? Have I ever experienced God's love? So right away, we see, I think, we're becoming interactors with this thing. We're interacting with the Scripture. And we're beginning to meditate on the Scripture. And we're beginning to understand, hopefully, what it means to know God as a loving God. Maybe you grew up in a different religion or a different denomination that, that they taught about God as more of a condemning, guilt-driving, overlord kind of God that will punish you if you step out of line that will throw little lightning bolts at your life and that will cause bad things to happen to you if you don't do what he says. So every bad thing that happens in your life, you interpret it as God doing it to you, like some kind of Muppet, uh, puppet master or some kind of vindictive overlord in heaven. So each one of us has collected a perspective of God, this God idea that's inside of us. And, and where did we gather this thing? Uh, where did we collect it from? Who impressed this idea of God on us? Uh, some of us blame it on the Catholic Church. It's like, hey, I, I deal with a lot of guilt and shame because I grew up Catholic, uh, and that might very well be the case for you. Uh, but uh, some of us blame it on some other folks, some, uh, some parents or some teachers or some, some coaches, uh, maybe some school situations, uh, maybe somebody else. But the point is here is that you have a history, and when you're interacting with the Word of God, it is supposed to be affecting you. You're supposed to be becoming this thing 
So if you're really meditating on this thing and it's correcting you, if your perspective of God is he is a punishing God in heaven that whenever you step out of line, he punishes you so you come back into line, then you need to have some scripture correcting that perspective. It needs to reproof you. It needs to transform your perspective of God. He is a loving God. Uh, And so when you begin to see God as a loving God, you go, okay, well, if God is a loving God, how do I not do bad things if I if I can allow fear to go, how do I stop doing bad things? And because if you read the scripture in 1 John 4.16, it goes right real quickly. It goes into, uh, it goes love, uh, in, in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And if it skips to 18, it goes, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So what do we see here? Well, we see that God doesn't actually work and deal in fear. He deals in love. So when God calls you and I to be transformed, it's not through the method of fear. It's not through the method of punishment. It's through the method of love. So do you believe that your behavior can change purely through the motivation of love? Or do you believe that you need some punishment or maybe some bad folks need some punishment in order for them to be like Christ? If you buy into this idea that fear and punishment is necessary, uh, then you are in some ways disagreeing with God's approach in your life. And you're going to be asking him for something that he's just not going to deliver on. God's not going to start dealing in fear and dealing in punishment to change you and to transform you. So if you're looking for a master that will punish you when you step out of line and you want that so you stay in line, then your relationship with God has a misunderstanding right away. In sports, it was always really interesting being on a team, right? And then uh, I have, like some of my, my kids will sometimes be doing individual sports. And I love the idea of an individual sport. I never did it growing up. But I think I would have been really amazing at an individual sport, you know? Because whenever we lost, it was everybody else's fault on my team, you know? (laughs) But sometimes, you know, on these team dynamics, there's this connected tissue you have to build. So you look at your teammate, and, and at some point, you've built this kind of subliminal communication that they know what you want, right? And I know what they want. So they're like, you know, and they like look like that, right? Or sometimes my friend teammates would do bird calls, you know, when they would want me to know, but they'd go, burr, burr. and then I would know they were back cutting and whatever, that doesn't matter. But I would know they were doing something, you know, and we were building a relationship, a rapport, an understanding, right? And so it's like the bird call meant something, you know, the like the head flick meant something, right? And so this relationship matters. And all of a sudden, if you don't understand God to be a loving God, and you're expecting a tormentor and a punisher that will create righteousness through punishment and torment and vindictiveness, then you're going to be misunderstanding God. He's going to be head flicking, and you're going to be like, oh, I'm so sorry. He's like, no, 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 that's not what we're dealing with here. I was trying to do something else, and you still see me as somebody who's got his hand up ready to hit you. I had this dog once, and I don't know what happened to him before I got him. But whenever I'd go and put my hand over him, he would do this right here, right? And he was expecting to be hit when I would go to put my hand over him. But I was actually trying to pet my dog and love my dog. And when I would go to put my hand over my dog, he would start to sweat and he would run away. So he didn't understand me. Thus, he wasn't able to receive my love. 
The same thing can happen between us and God. When you're expecting punishment and he's trying to love you, you're completely alienated from that love. You have the inability to receive it. So what are we doing here? Well, we're reflecting on the word of God to understand, okay, I have to shift from fear to love. I have to shift from fear to love. So what's the approach to reading scripture to shift from fear to love? Okay, let's read the parable of the seeds. Matthew 13, 3 through 9. What does this shift look like? What does this approach look like? How are we supposed to become love and move away from fear? We're using this understanding right here of moving from fear to love. And now we're going to read scripture and and, and we're going to get an insight from Jesus in this parable on how we interact with seeds. The different kinds of ground we can be and the different kinds of issues that can come from that. And so in verse 3 it says, And he told them uh, many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. <clears throat> and, uh, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path. Okay, so we've got a path and we've got seeds. Right away, quick, quick shorthand here, the seeds are the word of God. Okay? So the seeds, the word of God is falling on different types of ground. The first ground we identify is the ground that is the path. And the path is what? Like, are you a path kind of heart? This is the question to ask for yourself, right? When you're trying to figure out how to go from fear to love or how to be transformed by the word of God, you've got to ask yourself, what kind of soil are you? So the path soil is the one where the birds came and devoured them. Okay, but what is the path? Like, what does this really mean? Okay, so the path is a place of traffic. It's a place of busyness. It's a place where you're never, like, really sitting and resting. It's a place where your movements, there's movement happening. Okay, so if you are not able to grow and become the Word of God because you're a path person, it probably means that you have a hard time stopping. You're always busy. You're always moving. You're always working. How many of you guys can relate to this? You're a path kind of soil. And your challenge is you got to learn to stop the train. You got to learn to, in relationship with what God's word's trying to do in your life, you've got to learn to still the waters. You've got to learn to shut the engine off of your life and just stop. Stop the train. Hard work is valuable, but the, but the scripture speaks clearly to a place of Sabbath understanding. And so we have to understand working hard is great, it's important, it's significant, it's scriptural. Providing for our family is, all, is scriptural, it's very important. But if you are the kind of person that has an inability to slow everything down and even stop in terms of your heart posture to receive from God in an effective manner then those seeds of God, those words of God trying to plant into your heart to produce fruits of behavior are actually going to die. So on Sunday, you could be like, man, that was a good word. I really like that word. Pastor Samuel preaches real good, you know, which I know what everybody thinks walking out of this place. They're like, man, what, a, what another home run. So, <laughs> so, so, but, but if, you're, if you immediately go from boop, Sunday after that hits and you are busy from morning to night, when you put your head down, you are busy, 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 and you got a path kind of heart set going on for the whole week, you'll get to next Sunday and that seed will have done nothing. That seed of the word of God planted in your life will land on soil of path, of busyness, of chaos, 
And the challenge here is that the word of God needs to be planted in soil that isn't always busy. So you've got to learn to posture your heart in a way that allows for a ceasing of movement for a time. For a time. Allow yourself to stop the train and to meditate, to receive these seeds in a way that allows them to go deeper because that's the next soil that's problematic. Because other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. Um, And since they had no root, they withered away. Okay, so what is this? So this is the seed that hits somebody in their heart, but they're not really allowing it to go deep. Here's the issue here, is if you're receiving the word of God, you're you're reading the word of God in a surface way, uh, then there's going to be issues when trials hit. When hard time hit, when heat, the heat turns up, uh, you know, there was this saying in sports, you know, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, right? And there was this idea of like, yeah, when the, when the intensity rises, you know, I get better, you know, the pressure tank hits and I'm the best, you know? There was this idea as a sportsman where it's like, when the, the highest amount of heat gets there, I'm pure gold and I'm going to crush it, Right? And so when we have this situation in our life, if the principles, the word of God hasn't gone deep inside of our being, uh, then it's not going to be able to remain after the storms hit. It's not going to be able to thrive after the heat gets turned up, after the pressure of your life gets turned up. Uh, it was an interesting thing. The first, uh, the first church, uh, you know, right after Jesus uh, went up, the first church there, they experienced a lot of persecution. And especially in the early Roman times, there was, a lot of, there was a lot of killing a lot of Christians. And what was interesting about that time was that there was really zero societal uh, uh, natural blessings to being a Christian at that time. Like you didn't get a tax break. You didn't get support from your friends and neighbors. There was no celebration. Uh, becoming a Christian meant almost certain death or loss of all of your property, uh, loss of your friends, loss of your status. You were stripped of everything. Uh, pragmatically good in your life. So the interesting thing about the early church here is that there was actually significant markers of great joy that existed in these people even when everything had been taken from them. And the very fact that when all of this intensity rose in their life and all the consequence got absolutely to the highest point you could imagine, they still had great joy And thus, their great joy in a time and a place of great consequence and great pain and great loss and suffering was a conversion to the people around them that says, this person here who's lost everything is happier than I am. And people would come to know Jesus as a result of seeing this great joy in a place of suffering and loss. So the point here is this, is that as the word of God gets planted in your life and in your heart, it has an effect on you. And this rocky ground, this shallow understanding of God, this shallow place with God, it's a real problem in, our, in, in church culture. It's a real problem with even the way this thing's set up. And so we have to go to a deeper place with God. Psalms 119 talks on a few different occasions about depth. And it says in verse 11, it says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So there is, if you look all throughout Scripture, there's a ton 
there's a ton of examples where it points to your relationship to the Word of God needing to be deep, needing to be heart level. So let's distinguish uh, how we read the Word. So if you're just reading the Word here, it's not going to have endurance. It's not going to have fruit that remains. If you're reading the Word to where it is Spirit-led and it is impacting your heart, it's being stored in your heart, which is a deeper understanding and a deeper interaction with the Word of God, then it's able to have enduring fruit. That even when your atmosphere and situation, like Job, gets real, real thick and real, real bad, your, uh, your depth of understanding, your depth of connection will help you remain, will help you endure, will help you sustain righteousness even when it's extremely inconvenient to your life. Uh, this will be, the fair-weather Christians are Christians that haven't learned to go deep with Christ. Uh, Christians that are wishy-washy, uh, that d- their life will dictate their enthusiasm for Christ are Christians that haven't allowed the Word of God to go super deep into their life. When your conditions or your situations or your atmospheres dictate your enthusiasm, your commitment to God, your righteous behavior, then you could actually understand that there's a depth issue there. And you need to go deeper with the Word of God in your life. Uh, This will require you to be more honest with yourself than you've ever been. This honesty honesty will require you even to have confession moments. So if you're going deep with God, lying to yourself isn't a convenience you can hold on to. So when you're reading that scripture in 1 John 4, 16, you're like, okay, and 18, it's okay, perfect love casts out fear. Okay, wow. So if perfect love casts out fear but I still have fear, then it seems pretty obvious to me that perfect love is either not present or not permitted actionable room. So why why isn't it casting out fear in my life? Am I holding on to the fear? Am I disallowing God's sovereignty to remove fear from my life? Have I held on to fear in some way because it's convenient to me? Well, that would seem weird. Why would I want something tormenting? Well, maybe I want something that's tormenting because it gives me something else that I want. And there's a motivation there. There's a lust there that's causing me to hold on to something that's tormenting me. I mean, we've seen this looking at somebody else's life. You're like, hey, why are you holding on to that thing? It hurts you so much. So when you're looking at somebody else's life, it's easy to see the speck in theirs. Maybe it's a plank. It's easy to see it, right? You're like, it hurts you so much. And that person's like, yeah, well, but this fear of failure, it's caused me to succeed. Like this house is because of it. This car is because of it. Like this fear is provided for me. This fear has protected me from evil people, bad romantic relationships. So you begin to understand that your relationship with fear gets a little complicated because even though it's tormenting, You've got to confess and be honest with yourself while you're protecting fear in your life. While you're saying yes to those roots. While you're saying yes to that expression. See, when you're going deep with God, it will require you to be more honest with yourself than you've ever been before. Like when I was going through some forgiveness things uh, about a year or so ago, I, I had to start being really, really honest with myself about what I felt 
where my mindset was at, where my heart was at. And, uh, you know, some pastors, mentors, counselors and stuff, they would ask me about my feelings and I would know the truthful answer. You ever have somebody ask you a real deep question and you're like, oh, I actually know the answer, but that's a really terrible answer. <laughs> have you ever had this? You're like, they were like, do you hate that person? You're like, they're like, is that a yes or a no? It's like, it's whatever you want it to be. <laughs> Rocky ground. Look, here, here's something really interesting. This, this shallow interaction with God's word. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of motivation and guilt and condemnation to stay on the surface. But this is why the Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's trying to invite you to death and understand, look, going deep with God isn't going to get you condemned. Going deep with God is actually going to get you delivered. It's going to get you free. It's going to get you healed. It's going to get you loved more fully as far as an experience with God. Because God loves you fully, but you may not be experiencing the fullness of God's love because you're holding on to fear. This is the really interesting thing about God. He's extremely consistent. So if you're not experiencing an attribute of God that is biblical and is clear, it's because you. It's not because he's ceased to be loving that you don't feel loved, right? If you can't experience God's love, that's not God's love being variable or going up and down like a roller coaster. That's your inability to experience it and receive it due to probably fear. So think about it like this. If perfect love casts out fear, God is love, and his perfect love casts out fear, that it, 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 it's really simple. Wherever God's perfect love exists, fear cannot. It's just a rule. It's a hence this, hence therefore consequently. If this, then that. If God's perfect love is present, fear is not. It's a nature of God. He is greater than fear, so wherever he goes, fear leaps. This is just a biblical fact. So if fear is present, you can understand that there is a distance. There is a room that you haven't allowed God in. There is a door that you still need to open. There is, there is compartmentalization up the wazoo. How many of you are expert compartmentalizers? Anybody real good at this? You're like, that doesn't exist because it's in a box, in a room, in a basement, in another house across the street. I hid it in my neighbor's house. So talk to them. Talk to my HOA president. So if you understand that, then you could really understand, okay, well, God's perfect love casts out fear. So if fear's present, God is not. So right away, I'd encourage you to do this. If you're trying to go deep with God, uh, read Scripture to a point where you're like, okay, that's, that's something. Psalms talks about it, and it says, Selah, which is, whoa, hey, don't go further. Don't keep reading. This isn't a novel. You're trying to figure out the end. What you just experienced was that you read God's word and you experienced the spirit of God by reading his word. So instead of moving on from that idea, that revelation, that encounter, that discernment, because remember the, the word of God is sharp like a sword. It's splitting between all these things and it's helping you discern your heart. So when you read scripture and it does exactly what it says it will do, stop there. And what I do is I begin to meditate on the Lord. See, meditation is, I think, a really helpful 
language for you to understand how to go deep with God. So when you are, uh, you are in these shallow places and fruit dries up because of different seasons and trials, you have to learn to go deeper. And meditation is going to be one of your most vital tools, spiritual disciplines to go deeper. And you can see this in the Word of God, uh, the, the discipline to go deep and to meditate on God. You can see Joshua 1, and let's go to 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. So meditation is a biblical spiritual discipline in interacting with God's Word. And so what does meditation look like? For some, they might have adopted some version of a New Age idea of meditation. Uh, for some, it looks like maybe some kind of sports psychology thing. Maybe it looks like some kind of therapy thing, psychiatry thing. But here's what I'll say. In terms of biblical understanding, I would say Selah is a great example of what it means to meditate on God's Word. You read it, you experience God, and thus you wait on it. You think on it. You don't let anything else come into your mind to distract you of it. And you sit in that place of God's word experiencing and encountering your soul, your spirit, and your heart. And the word of God will do what the word of God does. It will heal you. It will reproof you. It will correct you. It will deliver you. It will drive out fear. And when you feel yourself want to resist what God is doing in your life in that moment because you're comfortable in the place you're in, don't resist God. Trust the work he's doing in your heart. Trust the work he's doing in your soul. And let go of everything in relationship with God. The Bible talks about he'll shake everything so that that which can be shaken will be shaken and that which should remain will remain. This is the process with God. He's an all-consuming fire, and he consumes all the impurities so that the purity remains. This is his refining approach in our life. And when you're going deep, it's a refining journey. And it's this love being perfected in us. And we meditate so that we can actually give it time, give it space, give it room, give it permission to go deep, give it permission to go deep. This is relational. I can't even get to a place of methodology and formula like, here's your three steps. <laughs> it's like you're interacting with God and you're meditating on God. So, you know, somebody else's mental formula is going to probably be a little different than your mental formula about how you do that. I remember reading different books about what it looked like to practice the presence of God, or, uh, you know, certain bishop wrote about practicing God's presence. Uh, I, I read other books about people and how they interacted with the Holy Spirit. And a lot of different people, they would kind of coach different, like, different things they would do mentally, right? They're like, I would sit down in a place that was da-da-da, and then I would clear my mind. And then, uh, you know, somebody else would tell me that they would have a lot of busyness come into their mind, so they would write it all down on a piece of paper so they can get it out of their head. And then they could focus on what God was doing. So there's a lot of things you'll learn about how to exercise this spiritual discipline. And I encourage you to find scripturally how to do it. Because the Bible says, take each thought captive. Okay, cool. So if I'm meditating on God and ideas start coming into my head that are distracting me, then okay, the Bible says, take those captive. Okay, so mentally I just understand, okay, take them captive. I uh, put them in prison. 
So they can't invade my brain. I've just imprisoned them for a time. And I can take them out of that captivity after I'm done meditating on God, and I can handle them. I could take care of them. I could do whatever I need to do with those ideas. But I'm going to understand my authority over my thought life so that I can meditate on God. No one's too busy or has too many responsibilities to reflect on God in a way that's transformative. David and the kings of old should have showed us that. They had more responsibility than probably any of us as it comes to leadership and governing and finances. And yet still there is room all throughout Psalms. You see David meditating on God's goodness. You see him reflecting on introspective ideas with God. It's like, hey, search my heart. Show me if there's anything wicked that exists in me. David wasn't too busy. Neither are we. David didn't have too many stresses and responsibilities and pressures. Neither do we. We can find the space and time to allow God to go deep in our life. It is absolutely critical to allowing seeds to go to the place of transforming us. It's critical. Don't be shallow with God. Don't allow fear to rob you of depth. You guys good with that? Oh, wow, that's so fun. I love that, man. I know everyone here is stoked on what I just said. As you can feel the enthusiasm in the room. It's so fun. <laughs> Yay. The last one here to understand about this soil is, is one that is really, really hard, especially for new believers. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Okay, so what is this? This is your environment. It's, this is a really hard one for new believers. This is a really hard one for sometimes old believers as well. But your relationships around you, your communities, like I, I, in, in people's like kind of like this whole wave of deconstruction, I see a lot of people deconstructing the value of community and gathering. And it's just, to me, it's such a, a dynamically uh, dangerous situation. Like, so entities as churches, they do some wild things. They do some stupid things. They cause a lot of damage sometimes, right? So I think we can all understand churches can cause some damage. Just like anybody else that's human, any other business or entity, churches are people, they could do some wild stuff. Some of you could probably testify at this point. Maybe everybody could testify. But here's the interesting thing is if you disavow all spiritual gathering places, what you're doing is you're dislocating yourself from a vital expression of health, a vital expression of edification, encouragement. Um, the body of Christ plays a role in your life. It plays a role in your life. There's a reason it says not to forsake the fellowship of the brethren as is the habit of some. It's because there is a value to your uh, God's word being planted in the soil of your life and being able to be sustained and not choked out. Um, I, God loves everybody, but, but some relationships are thorn relationships. Some relationships are weed relationships. And so I'm not saying you can't love them, you can't be in relationship with them, but I'm, what I'm saying is if you are purely surrounded by thorns and weeds, you've got to reevaluate the landscape of your life. You've got to find garden places that will allow for an enriching of your roots, a deepening of your roots, a strengthening of your ground that will actually be pulling up weeds around the garden of your heart. You've got to be able to understand the role of reaching and loving folks that are lost, that are broken. And you've got to understand the role of gardeners in your life, wise counselors, trusted pastors and leaders, brothers and sisters in Christ that will actually come through and go, oh, look at that, that's a weed. Oh, look at that. It's starting to choke out your faith. 
You don't realize it, but that's actually the seed that is growing up of a weed right now that's actually going to choke out your commitment to covenant marriage. So our hearts are incredibly complicated. Our emotions are incredibly involved. So it really is so vital that we actually experience this yieldedness of elders. This submitting yourself to elders is important because at times you're so persuaded of your deception, it requires a humility of yieldedness in order for community, wise counsel, to be able to pull up those weeds of deception that will choke out the word of God in your life. But this is hard. Because one, finding trusted elders, finding trusted men and women of God in your life, this is hard. This is hard because our arrogance and our pride as human beings is incredibly difficult to get us into a relationship that is transparent. So this surface issue in relationship with God is also an issue in relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. You've got to have somebody you're talking to that really loves God, loves his word, and can identify and discern weeds, and that has the word of God in them so they can actually discern things, and they can go, oh, no, 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 oh, no, 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 I'm not going to agree with you on everything. In fact, the best mentors, pastors, and leaders in my life, I can count on my hand the amount of times they out loud told me I was right. You know how hard that is for my personality? Like, my goal right now with one of them is just to have a moment where they're like, man, you are absolutely right and amazing <laughs> and wise. It's a game within a game for me, you know what I mean? And I, I, it's my goal. It's like I really want him to just be like, dude, wow, you nailed that, bro. That was perfect, man, absolutely. But no, all I get is this, this, this backboard. There is no hoop to make a basket. There's just a backboard, and it throws the ball back every single time. It's maddening. It's crazy. It's, it's reproofing, it's correcting, it's reforming, it's shaping, it's challenging. It's, it's the partnership of, 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 of provoking each other unto good works. It's the partnership of, of, of prodding at the heart place and going, oh, well, what's that in there? What's that? That looks really poisonous, ugly, ugly, and toxic. I don't know, if you ask me, that looks like a root of bitterness. You're like, but I'm so right. You're so bitter, too. So, so it's, it's so interesting that in being able to become the word we're reading, we have to learn to put ourselves into environments and atmosphere that are going to be like greenhouses to growth in God. I'm not telling you to quit every job and to call up every lost friend and say you can't be friends anymore. You know what I mean? I, it's, I'm not saying going from only being immersed in thorns to just absolutely only being immersed with Christians because the, the Bible talks about go out into the world. So, so this isn't about telling all your unsaved friends they're stupid and you can't hang out with them anymore. This, this isn't what I'm, what I'm edifying in your life is understand that your atmosphere can be thorny and weedy and it could start to actually spread and put weeds and thorns in your life that is not friendly to the word of God growing in you and producing fruits of righteousness. So when you begin to understand that, you begin to understand the jadedness, the pushing back of faith that can happen in your life if you're around a certain mindset over and over and over again 
So you need to learn the discipline of greenhousing yourself. Find the Bible studies that will greenhouse you. Find the Bible studies and the relationships that will greenhouse you. Where you'll just walk out of that place strengthened in the might of the Lord. Strengthen the edification of the word. Deepening in your roots of understanding. Understand what it means to read the word of God. And not only to read it, but to meditate on it. And then to have others also saying it to you. It's so powerful. Even one-on-ones can be just magnificent. Find the right relationship. You don't have to consider him some kind of pastor or elder or leader in your life or some kind of spiritual father. You don't have to give him lofty places uh, in your life of kind of like significance and status. Don't even bother having a title on it. If you meet with them and you walk away curious about the word, edified in the word, edified in the nature of God and the character of God, then you found a good one. And go back and just talk with them again. Interact on your life and then allow them to just words and scriptures will come out of their mouth about what's happening and you'll be like yeah yeah that's it that's the jam right there that's it and there's been times before where I've been meeting with somebody and I've been I, I got struck by a, a scripture they shared and I just wanted to be like okay well I gotta go I gotta go like right now I have to go because that I have to I have to meditate on that like I have to think on that and I'm trying to figure out a nice way to say it to somebody. You know what I mean? Or kind of a smooth transition from mid-conversation to walking up and leaving. <laughs> you know, like i got to come up with a code word that we have in relationship where it's like, all right, well, uh, whew, and then they know. You know what I mean? <laughs> they know. And I'll cash app them for my half of the meal or I'll forget. <laughs> Never on purpose. <laughs> So it's this meditation, this meditating on what God is doing in your life, allowing when, when God's word resonates and hits you in a certain way, don't just go, wow, that's a great idea. I feel really good about the mental impact that just had. But allow that mental understanding to reach to places of heart transformation. Allow it to pull up weeds. Allow it to move you from a place of uh, hard-heartedness to soft ground and soil. Because the end of the scripture, and it's how we're going to finish is. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. I like it when a scripture, like an area, ends in a way that I didn't anticipate. It's talking about soil. It's talking about seeds. And now it's talking about my ears. Isn't that interesting? He's like, well, huh? what? It's like me giving you basketball lessons and then being like, so when you're climbing, what you need to do, and you'd be like, wait. When do we start talking about climbing? Well, we've always been talking about climbing. <laughs> so it's interesting. He says, he who has ears, let him hear. Really reflect on that. Really meditate on that. What is it? Why is he telling me to hear? Right after talking to me about the soil of my heart, why is he telling me to hear? Well, to me, it, it, it builds a correlation. It builds a connection. That the state of the soil of my heart in my life is connected to to my willingness to hear and really, really hear. So my ears are going to be really important in that. So, so it's not about talking different, right? It's about listening different. So if you want the soils of your heart to shift and move, hear differently, think differently, listen differently. So it might take you ceasing talking just for a bit and, and just engage in just listening and reflecting. Put all your faculties and all your strength to just listening to that thing and just becoming 
that which you are hearing, meditate on it, go deep on it, reflect on it. And don't, don't talk yet. Don't talk yet. Just reflect. Just listen. Just allow it to go deep. Embed it into your heart. Embed it into your soul. Separating things out. Helping you discern what's in your heart. Allow the word of God to be heard in a way that is transformative. James talks about don't only be hearers of the word, but doers as well. So hear this thing and allow it to come to a place of transformation where you are doing the thing you are hearing. You're not just hearing it for understanding mentally, but you're hearing it to become it. You're reading it to become it. You're listening to what God is saying and doing to become it. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.